it's nice to see so many people come out on a, on a summer day for, for church service. As you could tell my usual email influx, everybody, has been very popular. I, 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 I stacked the deck, bringing my family in too, so <laughs> fill up the numbers. And the passage today I'm going to read, um, I need another book, is from uh, the book of John, uh, chapter 6, when he talks about the I am the bread of life. And uh, when I read this, I want you to pay kind of close attention to not only Jesus' words, but the reaction of the crowd. That's kind of what I want to kind of focus on. Um, this passage can be found in page 98 in the New Testament in the Pew Bibles. And I'm going to add a couple more verses at the end. Um, so as is a tradition of this church, would you please stand for the reading of the gospel? John 6, 41. Jews began to complain about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And in verse 51, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats of this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves, saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? I'm going to back up, actually, to verse 41. I'm going to read that whole thing. I think it's, it's important to hear. They were, they were saying, is this not the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can we say now we have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not complain amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. I will raise that person up in the last day. It is written in the prophets. It is about, it is about God. It is about Jesus. Under 60, and also, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this teaching is difficult. Who can accept it? And as verse 66, because of this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer went about with him. And Jesus asked his 12, do you also wish to go away? To focus on that. Here ends the reading of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Who's got my timer today? Not going to pay attention again today. But I am the bread of life, right? That's what he said. I am the bread of life. This is one of the one, many I am statements that Jesus says throughout the Bible, throughout the Gospel of John. I am. I am the light of the world. I am the gate for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the son of God. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am what I am. It's all that I am. That was Popeye. I was just testing you guys to see if you were paying attention. Popeye was not in this, no. Great words, but not what these people were expected. They wanted a king. They wanted somebody to lead them. Instead, he comes out with, I am the bread of life. Probably not the words they wanted to hear. Sometimes it's not what it's supposed to be, but sometimes what's not expected is probably best. I wanted to push that, that point here by, by reading from this book. I don't know if any of you have seen this book before, The Good News from North Haven. It's a story that a, a, a minister wrote. It's a, it's a fictitious story, fictitious pastor in a fictitious church in North Haven, uh, Minnesota. His name is Pastor David. He goes to teach... He goes to his, his calls at Second Presbyterian Church. 
Apparently the town had a first Presbyterian church, and then there was a fight, and there was a second Presbyterian church. I don't know. I didn't know there was ever a second anything and those kind of things, especially in a small town. Pastor David moved there with his, with his wife Annie and their two kids, and they've gotten uh, accustomed to this small town that they live in. And so he's written these stories that, yeah, it says they're fictitious, but you can hear a little bit of truth in a lot of these. So I like to, to present this story, and it's basically told from the first person of, of Pastor David. He says, well, we weathered another Easter. This is right after Easter. It always leaves me full of hope and, and, and very tired, much like the tired and full of hope you get after working all day, all spring day in your vegetable garden. Lots of hard work. No tomatoes yet, but a really good reason for hope. Church was packed. The Easter service was packed, and with the usual contingent of visiting relatives, mainly grandchildren and grandchildren from the suburbs of Minneapolis and Chicago, to, some, to a place that some still call home. And of course, there was the group of locals that came out that come out to church twice a year, you know, pulled, drawn from the, from, the, from the depths of backsliding and with some ancestral memory of, of poinsettias and, and lilies and you know, maybe even some faith. Annie and I took a couple days off after the Easter services because Easter is such a tiring time and we drove to the cities. We stayed at the Radisson there, so two nights at the Radisson, saw cats, and ate at a northern Italian restaurant that we could not afford. And like most tourists, we spent a lot of time trying to pretend we aren't tourists. This means walking real fast, not looking up at the IDC building, and, not, and resisting the urge to say excuse me when you bump into somebody. The, uh, you also have to pretend that you're used to paying $21.95 for a plate of chicken marcella that doesn't even include the salad. And you're accustomed to watching people sleep on the sidewalks and relieve themselves from the curb. But the hardest part of pretending not to, not that, excuse me, the hardest part of pretending that you're not a tourist in the sticks is the sore temptation just to say hi to people that you really don't know. Because in those little words, you reveal that you come from someplace small and in two days, you're going to head right back there. We had the same waiter for three meals at the Radisson. So he, was, uh, he, was, he was sternly efficient and said things like, eggs sardieu, like he knew French or something. But his name tag said Andrew. <laughs> the second time he waited on us, it was all I could do but to say, you know, have all that training in small town and go, hey, Andy, how you doing? Good morning. Good morning, good to see you. How you been today? Boy, it doesn't look as busy as it did yesterday, huh? But we didn't want to give that away. So we just, so I curtly asked for two coffees and said good morning. <laughs> no way from that exchange could he think we were anything but sophisticates out for a bite before we went to our high-class offices. We drove home Thursday afternoon. It's been ages since either one of us have been anywhere more exotic than Mercado. Four years have passed since I took the call to North Haven. It had always been, always considered our first solo pastorate. It was, a, it, was, it was a place to get a start and a mercurial career in the ministry. It was, it was just a place to pass through. You see, pastors at Second Presbyterian Church rarely stay for three or four years. So it was strange to feel, as we have in, on a few occasions lately, 
that ours is one road show that just might stay around for a while. We're driving home on Highway 169, and, and, and we found a common intuition becoming words. There was a rightness about us being in this church in North Haven. Annie was comfortable. The kids barely remembered anyplace else, and my work at the church was accepted, sometimes indulged, but always greatly appreciated and greatly received. So we said, what have been hanging around in our thoughts? Let's go home and think of this as a home and make it a home for a while. For the first time in my four years at North Haven, I felt what it was like to be a called pastor. So on the way home, we picked up the kids, and we drove back to the house and to find a, a note stuck in our screen door. And it, was, it was from Maureen, our eight-hour-a-week secretary at the church. And it read, Minnie McDowell is very sick. Thinks she's dying again. Better get over there as soon as you can. Now, Minnie is 86 years old, married to Angus, pillows of the church. And she has been obsessed for the last 10 years about organizing her death. Because Minnie likes to do things just so. And this is going to be no exception. This death is going to be just so. She, which means she's going to do it at home, in bed, long white nightgown, pass her on the side. And uh, um, we had done this before. There have been two false alarms in the last three years. And it's the way her, her doctor explained it. The only thing wrong with Minnie's plans is She's not sick. So I climbed right back in the car and headed over there, and I was greeted at the door by Angus. Angus had this grave look on his face. But Angus has had a grave look on his face since he was 22, was, you know, from what I hear. Glad you made it, David, he said. Put his hand on, the back, on my back, underneath my neck, and shepherded me through the old Victorian house to the staircase up the stairs, and there was Minnie in bed. Long white nightgown on her hair freshly done, the sheets folded just so over her waist. When she saw me, she put her arm up languid languidly and, and very dramatic voices, I'm really glad you made it in time, Pastor. Angus pushed out a chair for me, and, and I sat down, and I let the moment pass, and I asked Minnie if she was comfortable. She nodded slowly and said the doctor had just left, but he was no help. So at that point, I was thinking in the silences, I really loved to inquire just what the doctor had said to her. But Minnie, obviously uh, sensing I was going to be asking a question like this, said, go ahead and ask the question, Pastor. Now, the question I had come to know in my last two visits on Minnie's deathbed was a central part of her very precise plans for the day. It was a question she had been raised to know that this was a very part of a very tasteful death. The pastor was to say, are you prepared to die? And the die would say, yes, I am, pastor. And then the pastor would say the 23rd Psalm, say a number of prayers, finish with the Lord's Prayer, and then the die would die. Very organized. That was how it was properly done. We had done this twice before, all except that last part. I looked helplessly over my shoulder at Angus, who looked at me perceptibly, and I really kind of took that to mean, do your job, kid. So then I held Minnie's hand, and 
And I said, are you prepared to die? I slid off my chair when she said, no. She's, her lower lips started to quiver and she turned and she looked toward the wall. I, I squeezed her hand. Angus came over and put his hand on my chest and said, on my shoulder and said, Minnie's got to get something off her chest. And Minnie turned over and she choked out the words, no, Angus, you tell him. David, Angus began, do you remember that I was the head of the pulpit nominating committee when we called you four years ago? I remember that. It was a committee of only three people, and they'd been to this pastoral search so much as they kind of wink at some of the formalities and not really take it with the grave concern that it, that it should be. So when Angus began to tell this tale, he was actually pretty grave, even for Angus. We received 28 dossiers from ministers. We read through every one of them and narrowed the choice down to two. There was you and, and Reverend Mr. Hartwick Benson of Indianapolis. We invited you both up to North Haven. We listened to you uh, do your sermons at Wilmar. I remember though it was yesterday. It was a hot June day. I had this brand new robe that I bought. I, I had my champion fits all sermon for everybody. And I remember my voice cracking what was meant to be the thunderous conclusion. After it was over, I pretty much made my peace that I was going to have to settle for something smaller than North Haven. What elation, what affirmation when a handwritten letter came to me and it was addressed N Haven, Minnesota. There was no title on it, just a date, and it said, Dear Sir, we are most pleased to inform you. David, Angus went on, his eyes shifted from me to Minnie. Minnie was the secretary in that committee. She typed up all the letters. She typed up one to Reverend Benson, and she typed one up to you. Somehow, they got in the wrong envelopes. <laughs> Mr. Benson got your letter, and you got Mr. Benson's letter. After this, Minnie started dabbing her eyes with her, with her hanky and so we never realized it until you called a couple days later to say, yes, you'd come. You were so eager. We just decided, oh, what the heck, let it go. <laughs> Angus put his hand on my shoulder and gave me a squeeze, which is kind of a gush of, of empathy coming from Angus. And, and Minnie was shaking her head saying, I just couldn't die with something like that in my conscience. All of a sudden, it wasn't me. It was Minnie who was dying. It was me. Down to my stunned silence, she pushed herself up in a sitting position and ordered Angus to make some tea and resolved to postpone her death. It's very big of her. They served me tea with shortbread, and Angus commented how amazingly helpful my visit was to his wife's health. person always feels better when they get something off their chest. Their souls may have been unburdened, but mine was loaded. I got in the car and headed home, wherever that was. This near deathbed revelation derailed the sense of rightness we had about being in North Haven just two hours ago. This wave of acceptance was just kind of washed out to sea. My call was nothing more than Minnie mixing up two letters. The author goes on to talk about, he, he pulls on the side of the road and there's this, there's this slough that's there um, with some interesting things in it. And it used to be a river. They built a town on the river, but over time, the river changed course, and it just left the slough there. And that's not how it was supposed to be. But 
looking over that, it was very peaceful. There were some blue herons flying around. There were some cattails there, and it was peaceful. And as he said, it wasn't supposed to be this way, but it was. This next part, I'd actually like to read, actually, from the text, because I like the way he words this. He says, I know that so much has come upon me in life I did not search out and choose, but rather found by chance and accepted as grace. The will of God is an infinitely intricate weaving of incidents and accidents, plans and province. Sometimes it works through us, sometimes in spite of us, but in all things, it can work for good. The rightness Annie and I had felt about North Haven that afternoon was not diminished by a decision made four years ago for Mr. Hartwick Bennett, Benson as a pastor. It's probably a good choice. He was older and more experienced than I. No, this is home, as he comes to realization. This is home because many and hundreds of other people trust me to take their hand when they think they're dying. This is home because Angus and many had the nerve to tell me that this, that this had, been, had dared to tell me the truth. It is home because the old ladies in church love to reach out and touch the children as if they were their own, making it one big family. It is home because the check in the market calls me by my first name. It is home because I don't want to be anyplace else. What I know now is this came to be, the, the way this came to be home is stranger story than I had thought, but the story usually is stranger than you would think. I drove home to tell Annie that many was going to live to die another day, and then I thought I knew where home was. I really like that story because it, it really kind of talks about it wasn't the way it was supposed to be. It, didn't, it was supposed to be somebody else getting the call. It said it was, it was David who got the call and how much he made it for good. Thinking back to the Bible, it, it's, it, that's the way I think about these people who were listening to the message that Jesus was giving them. This is not what they expected. They, they wanted a king. You know, take a step back a chapter or two, thinking about the, the events that Jesus was going through. He, was, he, was, um, he started healing people. He started moving around. People started following him. Um, he worked on the Sabbath. This was something different. People were caught up in this, and they were, they were following him wherever he went. He went up to the mountainside, and that's where the feeding of the 5,000 was, or whatever that number is, when he, he fed everybody with the, fish and the fishies and the loaves. They wanted to make him king. He was at the height of his, pers- of his popularity. He would have been on, on you know, every People magazine and, and Inquirer. I don't know what, what are those. I don't know what they are anymore, but he would have been there. I mean, he would have been on a report on TMZ every week. One time he'd even gotten a boat to get away from these people, and he went across the shore. And they woke up in the morning, he's not there, so what do they do? They all jump in boats, and they go also. They're following him. They will go anywhere. Because they were hungry for something. What miracle will you do? What, what, what bread will you give us? What will you do for us? And he said, I am the bread of life. And they said, what? And after a few discussions, they left in droves. This is not what they want to hear. This is not what was expected. We had uh, probably a certain group of people who were following him, maybe for political purposes. He was their gravy train, right? If, he's, if they're going to make this guy king, I'm going to be with him, and, and, and I'm going to get all the political favors, wherever they were in those days. 
but they were like an entourage. And they were, but they wanted to be part of that, but, but not a real part of it. There was no relationship there. They were just following him. There's another group of people probably that, remember, they, they, they ask, well, what does God require? They want the rules. They want rules set up that they can follow because I'm one of those people, I, I enjoy a set of rules that I can follow. I know what's right. But they're looking for a leader, telling them what to do. This is not what Jesus wanted. He wanted, he wanted the connection. There was no relationship there. He had another group of people that said, what the miraculous signs are you going to give us? It's like, dude, I just, fishes and the loaves, I just did that. And they're like, that was great, that was yesterday. What about today? The people that, that hang around that do this because they're looking for the wow factor. You've got to wow them every second or you're going to board them and they're going to leave. They want the spiritual excitement. There is no relationship there. This bread of life, that's what Jesus said. That's what you have to come through me. There has to be a relationship there. Now, even Peter, oh, I think I lost my page, but my favorite, Peter, actually kind of comes up with a, with a decent statement. Da, 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 da. Oh, where is that? 66. Jesus, remember, Jesus asked the 12, do you also wish to go away? And Simon Peter answers him, Lord, to whom can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You ha- we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. They get it. There's a relationship there. That's what he's looking for. That is the bread of life, the relationship. I want to talk about um, one more connection about dealing with the unexpected. Um, many of you in the church know that my father-in-law passed a couple weeks ago. And um, thank you for the prayers. We, we, we really appreciate all the prayers on that. And, and I'm thinking I have not got off my mind um, his wife, Linda, my mother-in-law. You know, Rich was sick, but, he, but you know, this was kind of unexpected. We did not think this was going to come. I prepared Sorry. Overnight, this wonderful woman was thrust into a new world, a new world that she was not looking forward to, a world she did not expect. But somehow, sometimes what emerges of it can be magical. Now, Linda is a very, very strong person, and sometimes you don't realize that until something comes up and, you, and, and you're forced to deal with it. I think this new life that springs up from, from tragedies like this can open up so many more opportunities. It's a terrible thing to go through. It's a wonderful thing that can happen afterwards. She had spent so much of her life looking inward. She's taking care of her kids. She's taking care of her husband. Now I think what she has, she's got support, and she can start looking outward a little more. I think that she will have a new life here, and I'm really looking forward to be part of it. She has great support from her church. She has great support from her family. We had the memorial service last weekend. There were over 150 people there, right? I think that's the, it was something like that. 
biggest service they've had there in a long time. The support is there. It's wonderful to see. Even during the summertime, people came. They support her. She's going to be very, very strong. I know that she's got new, fresh, strong relationships with her daughters. I see it all the time. I see more communication. I've talked to her more in the last two weeks than I have in the last, I'm not going to say, but uh, it's been a while. It's, and I appreciate being part of that. New, strong relationships with her family and her in-laws. At the service, I've got to, um, <laughs> I got to hold her hand <laughs> when she came down the, uh, the aisle in, the, in, her, in her church service. I never knew she leaned on me for that kind of strength. And it was an honor, and it was wonderful to be there for her. And that one moment can make the world, world a difference in a relationship, and I really, really appreciate it. She would understand about Jesus' message about the bread of life. She understands about the relationship, about, about you have to be there with people. It's not just a matter of following people. It's the reason why I chose that hymn. That hymn was, was part of my father-in-law's um, memorial service last week. It's a hymn of promise. It's, something is up that's unexpected. It's, 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 it's not what it is. It's, it's, it's how you work with it. It's not what is expected by believe that she can adapt. It's not an experience about what you're expecting or not. It's about embracing that moment, that feeling, that idea, when it comes up that you're not expecting. Just like in this Pastor David in this story, about it wasn't expected, but he embraced it. Just like the followers of Jesus in that story, the ones that did follow him understood. Just like Linda, what they are experiencing was not what they expected but maybe there's something more, a lot more. Embrace it, make the relationship. Amen.